Most old-time radio enthusiasts agree that the golden age of radio was born in 1936 and came to an end around 1962. By then, radio's most talented writers, producers, directors, music composers, etc. had worked their way into television and film. In 1962, for a period of about 20 years, radio became all news all the time, or some form of talk radio, and of course there were the many disc jockeys playing the popular music of the time. That was the way radio remained somewhat popular and was able to pay the bills through sponsorships. But the light of the radio had not totally gone out, as on February 5, 1979, CBS jumped into a radio drama revival that was being proposed by Elliot Lewis, who was by then a television director, writer, after an incredible career on radio. Might there still be room for the theater of the mind? Sia's Robux thought there might, and was willing to put a budget in of $1.2 million, which is about $4.4 million in today's market, into a new concept, a Monday through Friday nightly show featuring well-known stars as hosts in a different drama genre each night. Lauren Green, from Bonanza, would host a western show on Monday. Andy Griffin, Mayberry RFD, hosted a comedy show on Tuesday. Vincent Price hosted Mystery and Suspense on Wednesdays. Cicely Tyson hosted Love and Hate dramas on Thursdays. And Richard Widmack hosted Adventure Dramas on Fridays. The programs were recorded at Paramount Studios in California and had a resource of 130 episodes, which was eight weeks of programming, ready on the day that the Sears Radio Theater premiered, February 5, 1979. Now, CBS was funding CBS Mystery Theater and was working with PBS on Masterpiece Theater, and they eventually had to retract their support for the Sears Radio Theater. But fortunately, the mutual broadcasting system, with about 950 affiliate stations, took over the production of the Sears Radio Theater, renaming it the Mutual Radio Theater. This took place in 1980, and the format stayed the same, with a few exceptions. There were more network commercials, which shortened the time for the actual drama to about 37 minutes and 16 minutes of commercials, compared to the regular 40 to 50 minutes of story content and 10 to 15 minutes of commercials in the average golden age of radio production. And oh yes, Richard Widmack, who uh, hosted Friday Adventures Drama Night, left the series and was replaced by Leonard Nimoy of Star Trek fame. The final broadcast of Mutual Radio Theater was on December 19, 1981. And by the way, the Mutual Broadcasting System was purchased by Westwood One which later became CNN Radio. And then there were more purchases and sales and divisions and other companies. But the official end of the mutual broadcasting system was midnight, April 17, 1999. On this track from the mutual broadcasting system, the Mutual Radio Theater, a Tuesday night with host Andy Griffith presents a comedy, very appropriate for this time of year, entitled The Baseball Announcer. It aired on April 15, 1980. This is Heirloom Radio, a different kind of oldies program. My name is John Lovering, and I thank you for listening. This is Andy Griffith. Listen to this.
And you know what this is? It's a story about my father, the baseball announcer. It isn't everyone who can announce a baseball game, you know. It calls for a person who knows the game well and has studied its many ramifications since toddler days. I mean, being an announcer is one thing, but being a baseball announcer is really something special. Anyway, in 1934, just after Prohibition, my father worked as a studio announcer for a station known as REC, properly called WREQ. It was in a large city, so large it's still the Grand Dame of the Midwest. And it still has its quota of radio stations and rivers, grand opera companies and theaters. And it's represented by baseball teams in both the American and National Leagues. Back there in the 30s, of course, it also had its quota of gangsters. Let's call the city Bayhead. Not because that's its real name, but because it's a real story. I don't want my father who told it to me to end up in a morgue. You see, he could get shot for what happened. It all began when my father finished his studio broadcast. And since I've always been told that I sound like him, it must have sounded something like this. This is your announcer, Blue Anchor, speaking from Bayhead's WREQ. We now switch you to the post room of the Bartley Hotel and music for your dining and dancing pleasure by the Auburn Five. Take it away. Oh, hello, Brad. Hi, Blue. What's a big shot like Braddock Croton doing around here? I've been with the Norma Beer people and Mr. Oldwick all day. By the way, he wants to see you. Oldwick wants to see me? He's got a surprise for you, Blue. You mean, like I'm fired, huh? <laughs> No, not that. A real surprise. The program manager, Mr. Oldwick, has a surprise for me? Come on. He sent me to get you. And that's only the beginning of our story. Mutual Radio Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week, brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater. Our story, The Baseball Announcer, by Ted Sherdeman. Our stars, Robert Towers and Frank Campanella. Hey, we're the Oak Ridge Boys for the Bell System. Reach out, reach out, touch someone. Reach out, call up and just say hi. Reach out, reach out and touch someone. Wherever you are, you're never too far. They're waiting to share your day. Reach out, reach out and touch someone. Reach out, call up and just say hi. care so much keeping in touch y'all got folks or friends far away well pick up the phone and call them else how they're gonna know you care that's, that's what, what we, we all do reach out reach out and touch someone father felt pleased to be in the company of Braddock Croton, the fair-haired boy of WREQ, who announced both the at-home and out-of-town baseball games of the Bayhead Beavers of the National League for Norma Beer. My father was as pleased as the Brewers that Brad had been invited to their training camp by the Beavers. It was really something when a baseball team came to look on the broadcaster of their games as one of their own. Brad Croton was good, and good for the game. 
My father told me that when he and Brad arrived at the program manager's office, Mr. Oldwick greeted them most warmly. Well, 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 I see Braddock found you okay. Uh, yes, Mr. Oldwick. Well, 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 I, I suggest you be seated, Blue. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, 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 you, you, you haven't told him yet. Uh, no, I left that pleasantry for you, Mr. Oldwick. Well, well, well. Blue, what do you know about the Titans? Uh, the Bayhead Titans, sir? Yes, 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 the same. Well, nothing much, sir, except they're in the American League. I told you, Blue is a Beavers fan. Oh, yes, sir, ever since I came to Bayhead from Omaha, sir. Well, 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 can you stand a surprise? Uh, I, I think so, sir. Well, 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 Braddock and I have spent the day with the Norma Beer people. Yeah, so he told me, sir. Oh, stop saying sir all the time, Blue. Uh, yes, sir. I, I mean, all right, I, I mean, I mean... Oh, okay. You'll have to get over that, because soon you'll be as besieged by autograph seekers as our mutual friend Brad Croton is. I will, sir? Uh, what did I tell you about saying, sir? Oh, yeah. You make me sound like your grandfather. I'm sorry. Can I call you Mr. Oldwick? Absolutely. Okay, Mr. Oldwick. <laughs> you were saying? Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yes. Well, 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 I have sold you to the Norma Beer people to announce the Titans games. Me? Both the at-home and the out-of-town games. What? Well, well, well. Pretty important news, eh? Uh, you'll have to become a Titans fan now, Blue. Me? A, a baseball announcer? Wow. I've made arrangements for you to do the out-of-town games from the offices of the Bayhead Bulletin. The in-town games will be done from the baseball park in a special broadcast booth built by the management. Oh, my goodness. I said he had a surprise for you, didn't I? Boy, oh, boy, I expected nothing like this. Oh, you'll be given a press card for the windshield of your car by the Bulletin. You mean I can park any place? Any place your heart desires. Just like yours, huh, Brad? Just like mine. You'll be brought Broadcasting the games from a station out of town. I mean, not on REC? I mean, W-R-E-Q? No. How I hate those call letters. I wish the FCC would do something. Uh, where were we? You were telling Blue about broadcasting the games from a station out of town. Oh, yes. So we don't interfere with Braddock's reportage. We'll be on at the same time, Blue. We will? So I've made arrangements for an affiliate to carry your broadcast, Blue. The home games will come from the park, and the out-of-town games, which you'll have to fake, of course, will be done from the offices of the Bulletin. Oh, I see, Mr. Oldwick. And your sports review will be carried on the affiliate also, uh, but you'll broadcast them from a studio here. In other words, you won't have to move your place of residence, Blue. Boy, oh boy. And you open the season, Blue. The Titans play Clinton on the 15th. Which gives us less than a month to prepare. Now, step one. Go across the street and have your photograph taken. Okay. Norma Beer is going to plaster its outlets and trucks with it. And a slogan, follow Blue Anchor with the Titans. Yeah. <laughs> you like that? Oh, just fine, sir. I mean, fine, Mr. Oldwick. Norma Beer will send over its commercials at the beginning of the week. I'll show you how to use them at the end of the inning. Uh, do I get a raise? I mean, in salary, Mr. Oldwick? Oh, no. Oh, indeed. The honor of being chosen as the Titans announcer is more valuable than any raise. Yeah, I guess it is. By the way, Brad, what's an inning? What's an inning? You, you know baseball, don't you? Oh, sure. I used to play catch with my father. Well, well, oh, my goodness. Mr. Oldwick. He's fainted. Uh, Mr. Oldwick. 
Mr. Oldwick! What do you mean you used to play catch with your father? Well, I did. I caught and he pitched. Where am I? You're right here in my arms, Mr. Oldwick. What happened? You fainted. Why? It was right after Blue said he used to play catch with his father. Now look what you've done. I didn't do anything. He's fainted again. Well, you did all the talking. Come to, Mr. Oldwick. Uh, Please, come to. Maybe we should get a doctor. No, he's coming around. Uh, Mr. Oldwick. Oh, what have I done? You fainted again. You, you, get out of here. Yes, sir. Can you sit up, Mr. Oldwick? I, I guess so. Oh, what have I done? Why didn't you stop me? Stop you? Why did you let me sell that... That nincompoop to the Norma Beer people. I thought you knew what you were talking about. Every citizen of Bayhead knows baseball. How can I tell the Norma Beer people that we found the only one who doesn't and we hired him? I don't know, Mr. Oldwick. For a full season yet. Oh, I I may fade again. Oh, please don't, Mr. Oldwick. Oh, I don't dare tell him. No, Mr. Oldwick. I don't dare, do I? No, Mr. Oldwick. Can you train him, Braddock? Who, Mr. Oldwick? Oh, you know who! That guy who used to play catch with his father! Well, I can try. In the meantime, we'll share this little secret, huh? Yes, sir. And... Oh, and he's supposed to do a sports review, too! Oh, my goodness! Do you know something, Mr. Oldwick? I'm getting sick of this. What's it a name? Well, it takes a lot of fine names to make Sears names stand for quality. Names you've always counted on, like Kenmore, Craftsman, Easy Living, and Die Hard. Names that kids and moms cheer, like Winnie the Pooh and Tough Skins. Names that are a part of your life today, like Permapress, Klingalon, and Winter 2. And, of course, they're Sears Best Products in everything from T-shirts to tractors. What's in a name? Well, it takes a lot of truly dependable names to make our name. Sears Roebuck and Company. This is James Panko of Chicago. As a band, we put in a lot of miles playing concerts. We know what it's like to travel in foreign countries, work long hours, and be constantly on the move. Our servicemen and women often experience the same problems, but they have someone they can turn to for help, the USO. The USO provides recreational activities, relocation assistance, and people who care, both stateside and overseas. Help the USO help by contributing through your local USO campaign or the United Way. The USO. Service is their middle name. So, my father was taught to announce baseball by Brad Croton. I use the word taught very loosely because baseball announcing can't be learned in a few weeks, even with a superior teacher. It's a very special art, as my father found out back there in 1934. For the out-of-town games, he sat at a small table next to a teletype machine. Beside him was the scorebook, the Norma Beer commercials, and some mimeographed worksheets showing a diamond with the names of each position on the field written in so he could identify by name each player who caught or fielded a ball. There was also a Chinese woodblock, a drumstick, and a turntable with an assortment of records of various crowd noises. Brad had arranged for the wire service to send over the teletype the previous year's out-of-town games with the Bayhead Beavers so my father could practice faking the radio version of the game. From here on, by the way, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story in my father's own words, just the way he told it to me. All right, now look, Blue. Yeah. You have to watch the teletype machine all the time. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's another foul ball. 
Here's the pitch, and another foul ball. Use your crowd record. Oh, okay. Color it up. <laughs> Have the catcher try to catch the foul for an hour. It doesn't say that on the teletype. It doesn't matter what it says. You're supposed to provide some excitement for the listeners. Okay. Okay. Now, use a crowd record and ad lib about the catcher's attempt to make the out. Yeah, all right, okay. Not that record. Here, try this one. And, and, and the catcher tries to... Hit the woodblock. Uh, before the record or after. Before. Not so hard. First time it sounded like a home run. Oh, now the record? Another foul ball. And uh, I'm looking for the name of the catcher. It's right there in front of you on the diagram of the diamond. Where? The other one. The beavers are at bat. Oh, oh yeah. And the catcher, Millbrook, makes a dash to catch it. And it, where does the ball go? I don't care, right or left field or against the backstop. It's up to you. All we get on the teletype is that it's a foul ball. All right, the batter is out at first anyway. Now take out the crowd noise. Uh, everything happened so fast. You're supposed to enter what happened in your scorebook. Oh, yeah. Well, let's see. Milford out at first, at second to first. Not Milford. He was the catcher. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I see. Okay. Okay. All right. Now put down four to three. Okay. Four to three. You got it in the wrong place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, should, it should go there. Oh, boy. You know what's wrong? What? I'm supposed to announce in the American League. These are all National League games. What difference? Baseball's baseball. And you'll never learn it. The day finally arrived for me to announce my first home game. I arrived at the Bayhead Stadium, the home park for the Titans. The press sign in the windshield of my car had worked wonders for me. I not only drove to the park like a madman, but parked in the player's lot. Then a uniformed usher took me in hand, and I followed him up the long ramps at the back of the stadium, through the press box where the sports reporters looked at me curiously, and past the other broadcasters' booths, and finally the usher showed me mine. It was gotten into by going down a small ladder that had two levels and was spacious. The field engineer, whom I didn't know, had set up the equipment and mic on the counter. He greeted me most warmly. I'm your engineer, Chester Fanwood. Oh, glad to meet you, Chester. Well, well. Quite a view, huh? Oh, wow, right above and behind home plate. Oh, you must have pulled some strings to get such a prize booth. I'm going to do the out-of-town games, too. I know. You're the only broadcaster to do both. But this booth, wow. <laughs> well, uh, to work... <clears throat> the Titans versus the Clinton Scalpers. I figure Clinton to take all four games. How about you, Blue? You want to bet? Oh, I'm a Titan fan now, Chester. It wouldn't be fair to bet against my own team. Why does he do that when he's only warming up? Who? Glasheen in the bullpen. He looks like he's in a dice game. What do you mean? Well, he keeps blowing on the ball. Oh, Glasheen's a spitball pitcher. That's illegal. Well, it is now, but spitballers who were in the big leagues before are still allowed. What's he use? Slippery elm. Ugh. It makes the pitch look like a pipe light coming at you. What does? The spit. Ugh. It was a pretty good game, except for the guy the Titans had playing in center field. He ran forward for one fly ball, then backwards, then forward again. Yeah, but the ball had already landed. The next fly ball he tried to catch hit him right on top of the head. 
The left and right fielders tried to cover for him, but he waved them off, determined to make the catch, and smack on them. He hit him on the head and went for three bases. Why do the Titans leave him in? Because he's a good hitter. He's four for four so far. Everybody's standing up. There must be a fight someplace. As soon as I find it, I'll bring you a blow-by-blow description. Hey, Blue. Uh, Just a moment. Uh, My engineer may have spotted something. What is it? It's just a seventh-inning stretch. False alarm, ladies and gentlemen. I'll find out what's happened. Uh, You can always depend on Blue Anchor. The Titans won the game 3-2, so naturally they didn't play the end of the ninth inning. My fans are entitled to a full nine innings of baseball, and I intend to see they get it. But the Titans won! Just winning isn't enough. We're all entitled to nine full innings of baseball, and I intend to be here all night, if necessary, finding out why you've been gypped. I was gypped when they gave me this assignment. What are you doing? I'm dismantling the equipment. You took my microphone. That's part of the equipment. I vowed then and there that I would get another engineer. Then I remembered that though I plugged Norma Beer at the beginning of the game, I'd made no mention of them at the end of each inning as I was supposed to have done. Well, they'd understand what with the excitement and all. You see, it was my first real baseball game, and the Titans versus the Clinton Scalpers was the first time I'd ever seen nine players on both sides. Well, anyway, as I started down the ramp to my car, I was stopped by a man. I started to reach for pencil to give him an autograph. Hey, you blue anchor? <laughs> I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're the guy on the picture. Come along. He took hold of my arm with a hand that had only a thumb and first finger. I winced because the thumb and finger went right to the bone. Hey, you're hurting me. Hey, you'll, uh, you'll come uh, peaceable-like to the car? Oh, I've got my own car. You ride in ours. He took hold of my arm again and led me to a waiting black sedan. There was a driver and a guy in the back seat when he pushed me into the car. Uh, this is him. The guy who announced that ball game. Nobody said anything. Not the driver or nobody. He noticed the man in the back seat had a revolver and a shoulder holster. So I didn't say anything either. We drove through the South Bayhead traffic and finally arrived at a corner store whose windows were all whitewashed from inside so nobody could see into the place. All right, get out. Yes, sir. Park the car in the back. Inside the store. Yes, sir. gangster movie. The place had one snooker table in the middle of the room. The three players stopped and stared at me. Each not only had a pool cue, but two were wearing shoulder holsters, and the third had a revolver stuck in the front of his pants. This is the guy. Right through that door there. This is him, Spike. Seated behind a desk with his feet propped up on it was a tall man, he wore gray spats, striped pants, a gray pearl-button double-breasted vest, and a fuzzy gray fedora hat. I recognized him from the pictures I'd seen in the newspapers. Spike Pellucci. You see, this was just after Prohibition, and gangsters were still rife in Bayhead. Pellucci was one of them. He looked at me a long time and said something I'd never heard before. You stink. What? I said you stink. Uh, yes, sir. You're going to broadcast all the Titan games? 
Yes, sir. Not unless you get better, you ain't. Yes, sir. You got a score book? Oh, yes, sir. Uh, someplace. Oh, here, here. Here it is, sir. Yeah. Maybe we'll find out now what happened in the first inning. Why you got Kearney numbered five? He's a shortstop. Oh, that's how Brad Croton numbers them. He taught me how to score. Good announcer, but a lousy teacher. The short's number six. Army, get the blackboard. You're going to have to teach this clown about announcing baseball. <laughs> Hi, I'm Nick, the supermarket manager. Well, now I'm a big TV star. Have you caught me on the tube yet? This customer is asking what she should buy to clean her bathroom. Fantastic, I tell her. And she says... But Fantastic is my kitchen cleaner. What about my bath? So I say, look, as fast and easy as Fantastic cleans your kitchen, it'll clean your bath. A couple of days later, she's back all smiles. Nick, Fantastic is super in the bath. Fantastic. What it does for your kitchen, it'll do for your bath. I work all day, my job is rough. I need a boot that's good and tough. Why do guys with the roughest jobs wear red wing boots? Because outside they're tough, full grain leather, and inside they're all comfort. Right down to a special compound under the insole that fits like a footprint in wet sand. This is Kurt Gowdy saying if you work hard for a living, you've earned your wings, red wings. I've earned my wings. I keep telling you, baseball announcing is very special, but so are baseball fans. I soon found out that the Bayhead Beavers fans, for instance, were fickle for the most part, but Bayhead Titans fans were convinced their team didn't get the breaks, even if they lost 20 to nothing. I learned something else, too, that Spike Pellucci and his hoods couldn't go to the ballpark because it was another gang's territory, and they weren't about to risk any kind of run-in with their rivals. It was just a fact of life in 1934. But Spike Pellucci was a dedicated Titans fan, depending on the radio for in-town progress of the game and the daily newspapers for out-of-town results. Since I'd been ballyhooed by Norma Beer as the announcer to follow, Pellucci was bent on following me. That's why he sent for the big blackboard on wheels. Here it is, Spike. Where do you want it? Right there's okay, Army. Army? That's his name? Yeah, want to make something out of it? Oh, no, sir. Just... Curious, sir. He was in World War One. Yeah, that's why I lost the fingers. That's why we call him Army. Hey, my, my real name's Florence because my mother wanted a girl. I prefer Army. Uh, what's the blackboard for? It's for hijacking jobs. Oh. Now it's for learning baseball our way. Now let's see now. We write down the positions and the names of the players. But uh, I've got baseball diamonds mimeographed already. Here, I'll show you. There. The only number I had wrong was for the shortstop in my scorebook. If you know so stinking much, what happened in the first inning with all the others that followed? And why do you keep looking at your wristwatch? Well, I I've got to be back to rec. I mean, W-R-E-Q to do a sports review, sir. How come rec? Oh, well, the sports review will come over the affiliate, but I'm supposed to use the rec studios. I couldn't get to the affiliate in time to do it, especially on doubleheader days. This guy is planning to do doubleheaders? Relax, Army. Now, pay attention, Blue. What about the sports review? I'll have a car drive you. Now, here's the first thing. I got my first lesson in announcing baseball their way. 
When time got really critical, the big sedan drove me back to Bayhead Stadium. I got in my own car, drove to wreck, and never said a word about Spike Pellucci. I'd been told not to. And when you're told anything by people with guns, you do what they say or you get your head blown off. As the season went on, I got to be a pretty good baseball announcer. Oh, I was no Red Barber, Bill Stern, or Brad Croton, but I was acceptable, at least to Spike Pellucci. After each of the early games, Army be waiting for me when I got onto the ramp, and off we go to see Spike again. One day, when Army didn't show up, I even phoned to see why he was late. Army ain't here. Oh, who's this, Spike? Yeah. Well, I expected Army to be waiting for me. I didn't send him. Well, how come? Because you did all right this game. I did? You did. Gee. What'd you say? Well, I just said, gee, I, I did all right. There's always tomorrow, kid. The Titans score another three runs, making it 10 to 1 on a homer to right by Goshen, the third baseman of the Titans. And it's only the second inning. Mr. Anchor? Coming to bat now is Deal. The first pitch to him is wide, ball one. Yes? Uh, do you mind if Mr. Dillinger and his friends share the booth with you? Past the usher, I could see the face of the nation's leading gangster and his anonymous friend. What was I to say? To begin with, my booth was not only the best seat in the ballpark, but I wasn't about to argue with John Dillinger. Uh, Mr. Pellucci? Hmm? I've got a confession to make. <laughs> he ain't a priest, Blue. Oh, I, I know, but... I have to tell him, Army. So get it off your chest. I, uh... Well, I, I let John Dillinger and a friend sit in my broadcast booth today. His friend playing hooky from music school? Well, he was carrying a violin case, yes. I was asked by an usher to let him in, and I had no choice. Mr. Pellucci? Yeah, yeah. Now, what happened after Deal came to bat in the second inning? Your scorebook here doesn't show anything at all. I had to tell you, sir. So you told me. I want to know what happened to Deal. Oh, uh, he struck out. Struck out? Then you put a K here, see? I know. A K for a strikeout. What happened to you today? I told you, I had this visitor. Oh, him, Dillinger's a friend of mine. No problem there. Oh, well, then you can come to the park yourself. Not while I have you on the radio. Thanks to my efforts, you're getting to be pretty good. <laughs> Blue, uh, what happened in the sixth inning, huh? Well, I guess I made a mistake, Army. I didn't remember the ground rules. You, you want to take our car or your own? I'll take uh, mine. Mm, see you at the store, okay? Okay. You understand about the ground rules? Oh, yeah, Spike. It's to make sure we get some runs. Yeah, but you knew that. What was wrong with you today? Oh, I had a bad time yesterday evening with Mr. Oldwick, and I didn't sleep at all. What'd you say his name was? Well, Mr... Oh, 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 forget it. Just one of those things. Mr. Who, Army? He said, Oldwick. Please, please, forget it. It was nothing. Nothing? You call lossing up our broadcasts nothing? The next day it rained, so there was no ball game. But Mr. Oldwick called a meeting of the entire staff of Wreck. 
Well, well, well. <laughs> nice of so many to come out. Uh, what's this all about, Mr. Oldwick? Well, I, uh, I have an announcement to make, Brad. An announcement? Well, why not put it on the bulletin board? Well, because I wanted to see you all when I said what I have to say. Now, 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 will you please quiet down? <laughs> well, 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 I, uh... I've been with Station WREQ for, well, since it was founded. <laughs> a good many years, a good many. <laughs> well, 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 but the time has come, as the walrus said. <laughs> you don't find that funny? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I am going to a radio station in Des Moines, Iowa. Now, now, nobody can talk me out of it. I, uh, I am so bent on joining the station in Des Moines. I am leaving tonight. Tonight? Oh, so oh, I, I just wanted to thank you personally for all you've done for me while I was here. But, Mr. Oldwick, who's going to take your place? Well, I, I don't know. But whoever takes my place, may he prosper as well as I. I, I have spoken to the owners this morning, and they understand. So, now, goodbye, goodbye, and goodbye. Now, I can't prove that Spike Pellucci had anything to do with Mr. Oldwick's leaving, but I keep thinking it was my inadvertent remark that did it. Why would a man who was a well-thought-of program director leave a big station like Wreck in Bayhead for a little station in Des Moines, Iowa? Oh, I feel really bad about it. If Mr. Oldwick is still around, I'm sorry it happened, really sorry. I kept seeing the situation in my head. One of Pellucci's hoods, or even Spike himself, telling Mr. Oldwick, You've got exactly 24 hours to be out of town, or you end up in the morgue as another unsolved crime. But where will I go? Be out of town in 24 hours or else. You got that clear, Oldwick? Yes, sir. Make sure, or you end up dead as a mackerel. Oh, yes, sir. I hope I'm never involved in that kind of a situation. Des Moines? After Bayhead? Oh, my goodness. Across America, folks are finding that pooling pays. By making driving more fun. And putting fewer cars on the road. Your car can take a friend, or two, or even three. To work or play or school, a pool is best for you and me. Even if you're going to public transit, it's better to go together. It saves effort. It saves fuel. And it sure saves money, too. Share a ride with a friend. A public service of this station, U.S. Department of Transportation, and the Advertising Council. Andy Griffith again, and here's the fourth act of our story. Well, the out-of-town games finally got to be a bit easier for me except for my quarters in the Bayhead Bulletin's offices. I was assigned a room, not much more than a closet, really. 
and instead of a teletype machine, a copy boy brought me slips of paper on which were typed the progress of the game. Just another fact of life in 1934. The trouble was the copy boy wasn't nearly as reliable as the teletype machine. Where is that peanut-headed copy boy? Uh, the slammer's pitcher throws the new ball back to his catcher, refusing to pitch with it. Umpire throws him another ball. Uh, this is satisfactory, I guess. Polonia rubs it up. Now he's back on the mound. Gets set. Glances at first where Nesco is taking a fairly long lead. Throws to first in an attempt to get Nesco, but he's not successful. Where's that copy boy? Here's the pitch to Goshen. But doesn't matter where the slammer pitcher puts him. They're fouled off. There's another in the stands. There's the rest of the inning, Mr. Blue. Where have you been? I got other things to do, you know. I've got a baseball game to announce. Give me that. Big deal. Who listens? Here's the pitch, and Goshen is called out on strikes. That ends the Titans' eighth inning. The stands are applauding the slammer's pitcher for striking out Goshen. Oh, I, I, I mean... No, 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 no. Oh, there it is. Let's see now. One hit, no runs, no errors, one man left on base. The score, Titans 2, Slammers 5. Now for a word from Norma Beer. I'll tell you who listens. My friend Spike Pellucci and his pal Army. That's who. And he, uh, Oh, he's gone. Do you enjoy beer that is flavorsome? tell you, Mr. Pellucci, sometimes the copy boy lets me wait around and wait around. That's why Goshen fouled all those pitches in the eighth inning. I don't know whether he actually fouled that many or not, but I had to make up something. I tell you, remembering to hit that wood block for fouls and hits, play the right crowd record, keep up with the paperwork, remember to do the commercials after every inning... You'll blow the crowd noises. Well, due to that copy boy keeping me waiting. Up to the crowd noises, I was enjoying myself. Oh, I couldn't help it, Spike. It was the copy boy's fault. As a copy boy, he has other things to do, you know. Why don't they give me a teletype machine? I was trained to watch a teletype. All that creep hands me is little slips of, slips of paper. Like, like one of those things they have in a stockbroker's office. I can read them all right, but not if they're not delivered. Can you do something about it, Spike? I make it a point not to interfere with the press. All I need is for the bulletin to get down on me. You'll have to put up with it, Blue, like it or not. I didn't remind Spike Pellucci that Mr. Oldwick had taken a job with a little radio station in Des Moines, like it or not. The new program manager wasn't impressed that Brad Croton and I were baseball announcers and also broadcast sports reviews. He put us in just as straight announcers with duties at rec. Me, a baseball announcer with staff duties. I remember, oh, how I remember that campaign when the incumbent mayor was running against a reformer. Now, those were the days when anybody running for office had to submit his speech to a radio station before he made it. The station lawyers went over it word for word, taking out this or that, and finally handing it to an announcer, who was not only to read a disclaimer at the beginning of a broadcast, but had to follow the speech on paper while the candidate was giving it. If the candidate deviated by so much as one word, he was to be cut off, and the announcer was to go to a fill-in program. Now, those were our instructions from the attorneys and from the program managers. Well... I had the mayor's speech all okayed by the wreck attorney, and the mayor was to make it at 11.30 that night from the banquet room of the Beechwood Hotel. So, there I was, in the basement studio of wreck, in the Bayhead Towers building, alone, except for the engineer on duty in the master control room next door. 
Station WREQ in Bayhead now presents his honor, the Mayor of Bayhead, speaking to you from the banquet room of the Beechwood Hotel. Station WREQ is not responsible for, nor does it take any stand whatsoever on the speech scheduled at this time. We take you now to the Beechwood Hotel and the Mayor. It's our Mayor! Yeah, give yeah. that reporter what he's looking for! Yeah. She can win this or any other election in this town. He's got another thing in common. Got no reformer can unseat me, right? You're right, man. You're right. Oh, my good boy. My course was clear. It had been laid out by the attorney and by management. Station WREQ in Bayhead now takes you to the Alpine Room for music from Ewan Midvale and his orchestra. I ran to the master control room to show the speech to the engineer, Chester. I heard what you did. But did you hear what the mayor said? Mm. He, he didn't say anything that's even close to what the attorney okayed. Hey, what are you doing? Why are you pulling up your shirt? Look at that. Look at the scars on my chest. Mm. You want to see the rest of me? No, no. That's what they did to me on account of a tube burned out in the remote equipment last year. All on account of one lousy tube. Well, uh, hey, where are you going? Any place. But away from here. But you, you can't leave me alone in this place. I, I don't know what to do with all this equipment. Well, figure it out, bright boy. You're the one who cut the mayor. Wait, wait! Oh, he's gone. What'll I do? I'm coming. I'm coming. Hello? I, 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 W-R-E-Q. Who cut off the speech by the mayor? Well, I wouldn't know. I'm just the janitor. Well, we're gonna find out and fix that Patsy's wagon for good. Hello? Hello? They're gonna fix that Patsy's... Oh, my gosh. Oh, what'll I do? Let's see. I call the WREQ attorney. Yeah, that's what I'll do. Uh, let's see. Here's the number right on the speech. Hello? Uh, is this Mr. Lime Street? It could be. Who's calling? Oh, this is Blue Anchor. You know, from radio station WREQ? Yes. Uh, did you hear the mayor? Yes, I heard. Well, I have the type speech right here, and there's nothing like what he said in it. And the engineer's just left. I'm all alone here. Good night. Just a minute. Mr. Lime Street? I mean, Mr. Lime Street? Hello? Hello? He hung up on me. Oh, gosh, what am I going to do? I, 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 ah. Hello? 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 Spike? Who's this? Oh, it's Blue Anchor. Hey, you ought to be in bed wrestling for the game you got to do tomorrow. Spike, do you hear the mayor? What there was of him. I'm the one who cut him off. You cut the mayor? It's a long story, but, but I've just got a threatening phone call. Somebody's really put out because I cut off the mayor. I can understand why. Uh, is there some freight cars alongside the river, ain't there? On the siding? Yeah, yeah, right next to the river. Oh, I guess so. There always are, but what does that got to do with... Get out of that place now and go and hide. In a freight car? I'll send Army in a car down for you. And that's what I did. I found an empty freight car and hid in it. I just clambered in when I heard a car drive up. I tried to say, Army, but 
no words would come out. It's a good thing they didn't. Nobody around at the radio station and music coming from a speaker, but nobody around, nobody. I don't know how long I stayed in that freight car, but it seemed like all night. It was only about 30 minutes later, actually, that I heard another car. my breath as the steps grew closer. Then I heard, Blue! Hey, Blue! Where are you? It's Army! Oh, I was never so glad to see anyone in my entire life, before or after. I stayed at the store with the whitewashed windows all that night and until I had to go to the bulletin to do a Titans out-of-town game. I tried to thank Spike Pellucci for saving me, but all he'd say was, We're not letting nobody screw up our baseball games. Not even the mayor. Oh, yes, Pellucci. Well, you won the election. I said I would, Spike. In spite of your last speech being cut off from REC, uh, W-R-E-Q. That was a good speech, too. Except you changed the beginning. That's why you were cut off, Your Honor. Oh, well, a little too much of the stuff that cheers. <laughs> well, that's no reason to be cut off. You know how radio stations are, Your Honor. I know how they are. A good grief, this is 1934. Just because a politician makes a few alterations in his speech is no reason to cut him off. Especially when they make you pay for the time in advance. I understand you're planning to get that back. Well, you bet your boots and I will. It's either that or WREQ goes out of business. I'm not without my supporters on this. Well, as mayor of Bayhead, you should have no trouble making him give it. Not at all, Spike. None at all. Nice of you to see me, Your Honor. Glad you dropped by, Spike. I'm not really privy as to how Spike Pellucci calmed down whoever was going to fix my wagon in that mixed-up year of 1934, but... I've often thought that if Pellucci and his gangsters hadn't taught me how they wanted their baseball announced and weren't such ardent Bayhead Titans fans, well, I'd have had worse than my chest scarred up. I'd have been on a slab in a neighborhood morgue. The Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, The Baseball Announcer, was written by Ted Sherdeman and produced and directed by Fletcher Markle. Your host was Andy Griffith. Our stars were Robert Towers and Frank Campanella. Featured in the cast were Frank Nelson, Byron Kane, Sidney Miller, Jerry Hausner, Barney Phillips, and Corey Burton. The music for Radio Theater was composed and conducted by Nelson Riddle. John Harlan speaking. The Elliott Lewis production of Radio Theater is a presentation of CBI. This is Vincent Price. Join us tomorrow. I'll have another story to astonish and mystify you.